This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Reporters Without Orders. Hello, order, order. Welcome to Reporters Without Orders, a podcast where we talk about what made news, what didn't and some things that absolutely shouldn't have. This is yours truly, Charya Garwal and joining me today is our Head of Research, aka Media Slayer, aka new Instagram sensation, Ayush Tiwari. Hi, can you do that? Hello again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will take that Instagram sensation back. You do not have to take it to your heart. See, this is this is this is cherry being touchy as always. <laughs> but Ayush, again, how goes your Instagram life? Uh, Gaurav made you quite popular it seems. No, it's just because you guys mentioned me in a story once or twice in a week doesn't make me popular. Actually Meghnath's retweet does. Thanks Meghnath. <laughs> <laughs> so Gaurav, welcome to Reporters. Thank what you. did you do that Ayush is so miffed about? Uh we put one of these cat and dog noses filter on him yesterday <laughs> and he was like working and then he t- I tapped him and I was like Ayush turn and he turned and it was <laughs> Okay then. Okay. <laughs> yeah. On, it was funny. It was fine for you. It was not fine for me. Dude, you said send me the video, then he uploaded it. Okay, we got to stop. You got to stop picking on Ayush, but... uh, Who that's coming from? Thanks. Well, (laughs) I'm always on your side. But uh, Gaurav, what have you been up to this week? Uh, Well, considering that the week has just started, the biggest piece of information, news that has been thrown at people is the Game of Thrones episode, guys. If y'all have not watched it... come on! That is not news. Guys... Y'all have not invested about eight years into a television show and another two years into the books. But come on, guys. So that should be nodding. I can see Parikshit nodding. Everybody's attention is right here. We discussed this that day on Saturday when we were called into work forcefully. But if we didn't invest eight years in a show and two years in books, that's like we save time, right? No, but you're missing out on like the seven kingdoms, dude, and three dragons. Okay. Okay, I'm happy missing out on them, but. Let's come to a podcast and before we deep dive, here are the topics we'll be discussing. Ayush will be talking about his recent report on a news agency and how things changed under the tutelage of Sandeep Pamzai. We'll also be talking about Union Minister Menka Gandhi's comments and how the concept of secret ballot has gone for a toss. You guys definitely should check it out. Gaurav will be talking about a Pune-based couple that yeah. is seeking permission from the Supreme Court so that Muslim women can enter mosques. And apparently I have to sit through Gaurav talking about the Game of Thrones. But guys, putting together a podcast takes people and resources. And to ensure that we get paid on time, please pay to keep news free and independent. And also please put out the word about this podcast on Twitter or you can DM us on Instagram. So guys, don't forget to reach out to us on Instagram, Twitter, whatever is more convenient for y'all because when y'all reach out to us with feedback, couple of y'all like Ajay, Tanishka, Asta, Vivek, uh, it really helps us in understanding where we're lacking and what we can do better. And we try to keep the show as lively as possible. Also, uh, if you guys listen to this podcast on other platforms like Spotify, CastBox, Stitcher or iTunes, definitely check out the website, newslaundry.com, where we have videos, interviews and a ton of other stuff that Cherry does, actually. <laughs> Even what Cherry does is enjoyable, believe me, uh, believe me for that. Wow, thank you so much, Ayush. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> what is with the songs? What is the song? Dude, it's a Rahul Anjali ka jagda. Come on. Oh God, what is Rahul Anjali now? Uh, sorry, I am not Anjali in that. Uh, uh, what is this no. Bollywood reference? 
to make sure that Mr Ambani's name who owns majority private equity in at INS does not go through the stories Mr Anil Ambani Mr Anil Ambani and so there are examples I've put in the story where they put out a copy citing Anil Ambani's name and hours later they put out the same copy and they remove his names and just not names from the text but names from the quotes so if Rahul Gandhi says Anil Ambani they've misquoted him actually just wow. to make sure Anil Ambani's name doesn't go so they have tweak the code to take out Anil Ambani's name exactly oh wow so I mean that's if that's not ridiculous enough then there are efforts by the editorial management to make sure certain reporters who are perceived as troublemakers do not have their job anymore so they are continuously harassed and I've cited a exit interview in my story where the person says that they have they face constant harassment by the editor to resign and because they don't toe the line so these two facts of course there are more details but this is what's happening at INS and it's part of a larger trend at media layoffs even though we don't know the inside stories that what happened happened at BuzzFeed or Vice we know the inside story here and I was I was thinking that if this, this is the same pattern that happens in other media houses and this is a not a great time to be a journalist you know I mean, this is happening also because there's corporate ownership, right? When we say we are an ad-free model, the reason we are an ad-free model is so that there is no intervention in editorial processes and so that they are independent. Right. I mean, that is definitely there. Glad you pitched News Laundry. But surprisingly at INS, Mr. Ambani, who started owning stakes since 2007 did not have much editorial interference till 2016 it's only 16 when they start pushing news items the group Anil Amani's group and in 2018 when Rafal comes into the picture it you know jumps seriously that's when the stories from the Anil Amani groups come start coming to the wire and they start sanitizing it or sometimes they just try to resist it but now that's not happening according to the reporters. Do give our listeners a brief sort of synopsis of why Rafael and Anil Ambani connections make such a big difference given that you're saying that changes started coming in from 2016 onwards. Right, so the Rafael deal, the controversy at least as you know alleged by the Congress party is that the government consciously overlooked an old player when it came to manufacturing defense equipment, especially these jets, and went for a company which is called the Reliance Defense Manufacturing, which was 10 days old at the time when it was given the contract to manufacture Rafale jets. And when Mr. Rahul Gandhi, the president of the Congress party, started criticizing, started actually throwing potshots at Mr. Amani and Mr. Modi, which is in 2018, is when these news items, that is citing Rahul Gandhi's criticisms, were uh, witnessing omissions and censor by the editorial management at INS. Gaurav, why don't you come in? What do you think about corporate ownership of media, given that you've worked in different organizations? Have you experienced the same thing when you were working in an organization owned by a corporate house? Mm, well, I wouldn't say there's been complete censoring in a, in, a, in a particular sense, but there have been, especially in a newspaper, there's a way where you can actually play around with the placement of stories so that it doesn't come on a page that 
that has an ad of the that has an ad of the same builder for example there was a story that i did at on hiranandani which had to be tweaked from the third page to go back to the eighth page because the fourth page had an entire full page ad of the developer so maybe those kind of tweaks have been there but if if you if you are if you are asking that if i've personally been like censored no i don't think that's happened okay so gorov moving on what caught your eye between the two podcasts not this week because you'll just be like the week hasn't started <laughs> what caught your eye and what did you think was overreported or something that should have received a little more coverage apart from the strange delhi weather that i woke up to today which i think really it's a did, nice weather it's nice but it's so unexpected it yeah un- that's like, right It it, it it also rained in Bombay day before yesterday, but yeah. uh, I would have yeah I would have never anticipated that this is going to be the weather yeah in the morning in Delhi. But uh, something that really caught my eye, there, there were actually two things. The first one is about Shashi Tharoor falling off the scales while he was at a temple performing a certain ritual Long. where, <laughs> in which you uh, weigh like bananas or fruits or whatever it is against your body, like your body weight. and he fell off the scales and he had to get about 11 stitches on his head and he had to be taken to a hospital cancel a rally do all of that but so you're making ac- fun of a person who lost his balance uh i'm also actually i'm taking a dig at the ritual itself because i don't see why yeah. we should have a ritual where someone's body mass index should be weighed in pool pal gold whatever it is and why that should be considered as an offering to any kind of god but uh, that is obviously like a religious problem but when you have a politician endorsing that when you have a politician endorsing that and then something comical happens at at that incident then why not yeah no one's yeah. saying that the just man like, is large or like anything just like movie they they still do that, that, arrow, that right? stupid thing about taking an arrow and shooting ravan mm-hmm. and modi's been flopping on that act since 3 yeah. years yeah Isn't that it's the fake? same it's not fake he's been actually he flopped this year he flopped last, last year, year. and that's funny right so that's also one this what's the symbolism of you know shooting prime minister shooting arrows at ravan stop doing and that and this entire ritual so go back to the prime minister's office pass some policies man i think this entire ritual of first of all weighing someone in their body mass index is so archaic that but given that we have a history buff amongst us hmm. aish why don't you tell us what's what's the history behind this ritual <laughs> Actually, I don't know the history behind this ritual, but I do remember. So uh, pseudo history suits you, right? Just, no. just as a one-liner, the ritual is called Tola Bharam, and it is a ritual in which a person sits on a balance scale against a heap of offerings such as flowers, fruits, etc., which is equal to the devotee's weight. There is a similar ritual that happens in the Bori section of Muslims as well, where the Sayyidna's weight, the Sayyidna is the spiritual leader of the community, he's weighed in gold, and then that is distributed. But why do they do that? Like I get what tuladan is, uh-huh. but what I'm trying to understand is why is it done? What is the idea behind it? That the offerings have to be equal to your weight. I guess that is why. Like, what is the significance? Because in the olden days, that's how kings were. Like their importance was measured, their wealthiness was measured when they when they were made to be put on a scale, like on their name day, or you know when when they have a son or anything, or when it's like a. festival that's taking place like right. holi etc then they would be weighed in whenever gold whenever they wanted money from their hard the, working in jodhagbar there's a scene remember that is weighed in gold yeah he's weighed in gold, yeah. in gold and actually it's a fact that when aurangzeb became the emperor he abolished it because he said it's idol worship and therefore un-islamic but it clearly happens though like in a couple of communities still like even in the south right now with the the same tulabharam yeah. festival it still takes place and even with the bori muslim faction there is a certain ritual where the sayyidna himself is weighed in gold or like notes or whatever it is right so yeah well aurangzeb never conquered kerala already <laughs> something else that 
seems to have been underreported in terms of quality was uh, there's this there's a pune based muslim couple who moved the supreme court on monday uh, seeking to allow women to enter mosques and offer namaz talking about supreme court i have a trivia did you know that the supreme court structure is in the shape of a penis Uh, no, <laughs> that's contempt of court. How dare you say that? I am reporting facts, my lord. How do you? What do you mean you're reporting facts? I'm going to show you the picture. Okay. Tan tan. Oh, this is a satellite view. Okay. How would we know this? We don't fly over Supreme Court often, do we? Or उसके ऊपर देख के बोलेंगे अरे ये तो अरे entry कहाँ से है भाई? But this is this is so amazing. I was like, I've been in Delhi for four years and I did not know this. Right, and you haven't read Freud either, so I'm you have my sympathies. I'm simply going to ignore you. Uh, Gaurav, <laughs> coming back to you and the petition. I'm just trying to like get that image out of my head right now, <laughs> where the Supreme Court looks like. Anyway, uh, the petition seeks to mo- uh, allow Muslim women to enter mosques and offer namaz. Surprisingly, the petition was filed on Monday, and by Tuesday there was a hearing in the Supreme Court, and the court has now sent out notices to uh, the Waqf Board and to also to like uh, various other Muslim personal law boards as well as to the centre. So it seems that this is moving at a certain fast pace, but we have to ask ourselves why is it moving so fast, and like why would the Supreme Court take cognizance of such a petition? It's based on the Sabrimala verdict that was passed earlier, where where the entire uh, you know now where where we see that women between the ages of ten to fifty are being allowed into the temple, which was quite a historic verdict in itself. Hmm. So now, according to this Pune-based couple Zubair and Yasmin, uh, who are from Bhopti in Pune. according to them it's not mentioned anywhere in the holy books or in the scriptures that women cannot enter mosques in fact from what zubair tells me over a telephonic conversation that we had it says ki bandiyon ko allah ke darwaze se mana nahi karna chahiye he mm. says something on those lines to me and i asked him that you know what exactly caused you to take such a drastic step because at the end of it it is a drastic step you're from pune right you're from bhopti in pune you're going to be coming to delhi for hearings and you'll be taking up such a hardcore case Not only that, you will also have to like face the brunt from like your fellow community members, from uh, old school orthodox people who will not want women inside mosques still. So he says that you know the it it all began three four years back when I was in the Aund area in Pune. I you should probably you must yeah. be very familiar with all these words, right? Hopi Pola is very nice. Hopi Pola in Aund. Aund has the biggest crossword in this in this country. Really? Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I like the SB Road crossword. But Gaurav, you we will come back to you. You never got out of SB Road, did you? <laughs> It was anyway. a very happening place. I used to live there just because of that. Anyway, so Yasmin and Zubair got married in 1999 in Pune itself. It was an arranged marriage. They have two children now, two boys. But uh, about three, four years back, they had gone to a mosque in Aund after shopping, and Zubair wanted to offer namaz there. When he was entering, he wanted Yasmin also to come and pray with him. From what the story he tells me is, this is how it goes. But At the entrance itself, she was stopped, and she was said that you know because you're a woman, you can't enter, and she was sent back. Right. This incident was repeated in their own locality of Bhopti as well, where, in spite of writing several letters and applications to the mosque members, to the community, saying that you know women should be allowed to come in and attend religious sermons and offer namaz, mm. there he says that my friends have made applications against this. Right. Like they do not, they strictly do not want this to happen at all. And May that I is ask it. something? Sure. But uh, here in Delhi, the Hazrat Nizamuddin it allows us to go inside. But that's a Sufi mosque. Oh, 
it's okay. actually not even a mosque it's a darga it's a darga right yes. what's the difference in the so the sufis for example have this practice called salafi which is worshiping your ancestors especially Correct. dead ancestors okay so uh, nizamuddin aulia who's buried there and mm-hmm. his uh, protege amir khusrau both are buried there so these people worship humans oh, and okay. dead humans in a way so that's that's a darga but the mosque is for the uh, for allah in fact according to the pet- according to the petition that was filed on monday uh, it says that women are allowed to offer prayers at mosques under the predominant jamaat e islam and mujahid mujahid denominations but are barred from mosques under the predominant sunni sunni faction right so whereas certain mosques in india actually most most mosques in india do not allow women to enter but if you compare this to like mecca or something men and women are equal there they pray together they stand together they offer namaz together in fact there's no segregation of entry exit you know all of that everyone standing together praying i mean you're you're praying you're not doing like you know what i'm saying everyone so, comes under one roof to do yeah. that is there some catch when it comes to the mecca like there's a difference between a darga and a mosque the mecca is the it's the ultimate place of worship that every muslim is supposed to take a journey down to once in their life no i get that it's something that. like a commandment but the I, arabs are not very fond of the sufis so i i'm not sure if they allow that because the more the more puritanical islam gets the less you encourage idol worship and worshiping a grave or a tombstone is seen as idol worship no what Wait, i'm asking question, is what i'm asking is if the mecca allows women and men to worship together like equals yeah. why do mosques in india do not allow that is there a catch like yeah. the difference that he mentioned between a darga and a mosque so well so the way islam is practiced it's not one homogeneous religion there are four schools of laws so the indian muslims tend to follow the hanafi school which which is more influenced by the turkish version of islam and so that there might lie the difference that the arabs follow different system of law under islam and we follow different system and obviously then there are differences of geography which you know the religion even if the same grows differently with different people okay. so there might that might be a reason but yeah listeners if they know about this should write to us and tell us what's the reason yeah i could use some learning definitely uh I think the main bone of contention that is that should be duly pointed out is that the court on Tuesday while listening to the petition it asked the defendants counsel it asked Yasmin and Zubair's counsel in reference to the whole Sabrimala verdict it asked them can you invoke article 14 of the constitution and claim equal treatment from another human being because mm-hmm. in the Sabrimala case that is what it was it was the state right. so the court is asking the counsel to tell to tell it whether a temple a church or a mosque is equal to that of a state right i think the answer to this once given by the defendants counsel properly to the court satisfaction will decide the further course of action in the case right but just to draw on personal experience in jamaat in delhi uh, i remember two instances where uh, women so women are definitely not allowed during namaz especially in that inner yeah, space but otherwise you are allowed otherwise you are so but i'm telling you during namaz the inner space sanctum sanctorum sanctum sanctorum only men after sunset no women and i remember i went there a couple of months ago with a friend and my friend was wearing a crop top so what they did is they stopped her at the entrance and they gave her this very 
medieval looking gown which made her look like a you know wandering sufi from far land afar and when she went inside everyone was so amused man it and just because she was wearing a crop top she was you know had to put on that so these no, are some odd things which don't really you don't feel them you, know, you don't feel that you're in sync with time when you I do want to them. say i mean if that is their approach to respecting their religion i think we should respect that because which we bit? clothing yourself fully yes but look it ha- it we you, can disagree you, we hmm. can disagree but we are going into their place of worship and if they think what we are wearing is not a sign of respect i think we should respect that but who's the they the, the orthodoxy people. that controls that particular mosque or the muslims or the muslim men i mean so they, we have to ask that question because how what how do you know that other muslim men think that that's the right right way what i think is, is this is some orthodoxy which gets to decide what women don't wear which i, I don't agree with i absolutely agree with you that the question needs to be asked right but it's you can't ask that question assuming that women do not want that and by going in there with in with your protest or while protesting is not how you start a conversation where you are seeking answers right i mean we didn't protest but if the look my position on this is whenever there's a contest between personal liberty and religion i think the respect argument is trash and that religion should be put aside and it's the liberty that should take the course same for this if they feel they have a, they, they deserve respect i don't think they deserve respect but you may disagree on that i think the clothing on this this entire clothing aspect on how you are supposed to dress or how you are meant to be dressed aapko aise rehna chahiye waise nahi rehna chahiye in most cases if you see it it does apply to women no across religions in most places it does apply to women right but to altogether completely ban a woman from entering a place of worship which is actually a fundamental right in our constitution hmm. that should be the that that is the ideal talking point here right as to why has someone not brought this up before is it questionable that this is happening during the election period okay mm. maybe it is maybe it is not but if you're going to base it on the sabrimala verdict can it not be argued that it's going to have the same outcome as the sabrimala verdict as well these are the main questions that i feel that will probably trump on how you're dressed and this is what you should do and this is what you shouldn't do yeah those are like nuances of but religion but if they follow the precedent of the haji ali masjid in bombay i think where they allowed the entry of women couple of years ago now then I think the answer is between us because there is a precedent and that sh- that that's no, what I mean, should see, be for Haji Ali is still a tourist spot so women are allowed in and around Haji Ali not but inside are, are you yeah but you won't be allowed inside now to pray are. namaz I think they are we should check the I'm verdict unsure. but I'm there unsure. was a verdict making the case that women should be allowed okay moving on thank you ayush <laughs> moving on ayush what caught your eye so i came across this very good report on swaraj and it talked about the 17 year old girl who's of course a minor and a dalit who was kidnapped by a person who happened to be a muslim and when the parents went to the police station uh, in bombay to file the complaint the police refused why the mother who was asked by this correspondent why she thought they didn't file a complaint they said because we don't want to make this a hindu muslim issue and therefore now of course the national commission of scheduled castes have taken cognizance of this and that that the police is under the scanner but i thought these are the kind of incidents which you know just end up giving bad name to indian secularism because now i know people who will be jumping on this stories bandwagon and would be saying look 
you know even hindus are persecuted and no one listens to muslims and this is a larger trend you know it's a conspiracy but obviously it's not all that but some i, I don't know what this police officer was thinking first of all she should be losing her job but now this girl is of course out she's a juvenile detention center and she'll be there till what was the reason for the police officer what is the police officer's reasoning to not include the police officers not mentioned they they haven't been asked uh, by this correspondent of what why i think that is an important thing that the correspondent has missed out on it is definitely. you cannot go just by the claims being made by the family right but i'm sure the reason for the national commission of scheduled caste to write to the police and scold them for it must there must be some sort of a preliminary investigation and the police seems to be in the bad light and that's quite believable i think going by the report but the larger question is that now the girl is in a detention center and she'll be there for a month and the parents are being allowed to meet her once in 3 4 days so it's it's just come came across as something that should have been avoided very easily but just because you know the whims and eccentricities of certain people who manage police stations it's, it's a sad affair for everyone now just to point out the difference between the commission and media yeah commission is more activisty Mm-hmm. they are supposed to stand for the rights of the people right journalists are supposed to do the investigation right not base it on assumption that a preliminary investigation would have been done by the national commission okay just my thoughts on the piece i have no comments on that i think that's a fair uh, observation speaking about things that i think the media could have totally avoided is giving footage and space to vitriolic comments being made by political leaders and these and we know elections are here so we know that people are going to harp on communal sentiments harp on sentiments of hate to garner votes but i think what the media could do is totally not give them space call them out and say that they are you know call them out and say that they are spreading hate but giving them more space one of the tweets that caught my eye was times now saying that a political leader has said something communal listen in I think that's fair right so clickbait no no you should not be encouraging people to listen to communal stuff you should be saying that this political leader is spreading communal noise this is the kind of leader you should not be listening to that's and if the leaders saw that they are not going to get attention if they continue to do this then at least there might be some change that's absolutely the wrong way to go about it because i think this is i don't of course this is no fact but i personally believe that the more you try the more you lock down access of the people to a certain thing the more attention it will get i mean that's just happens to be in every you know true every time anything is censored if you censor a book doesn't mean people stop reading it it actually gains circulation sometimes very average books are censored and people end up reading them way more had it been not censored and probably no, would have been forgotten you see the difference you're I not see. saying that the book is communal no, you're not saying it's spreading hate and i get the point you're making i thought you'll speak about public shaming how media talking about this would bring about public shaming and hence change it should that's another argument but 
I don't think media should be taking a call on asking people on deciding what people should or should not see or listen to. No, sure, it should, it should put it in the domain. Whether people decide to listen to it or not is the question. Now, Correct. Would people act on it? Depends on the people. So you can put it into the domain by saying that, chalo, ye bande ne aisa aisa bola hai. Hmm. But to say, ye bande ne aisa kuch communal bola hai aur abhi tum mere pe click karke suno ki isne kya communal bola hai means yeah. you're actually cashing in on that. Right. That probably is wrong. Huh. Okay, so that bit, that commercial bit is wrong. But say if Times now put a video of it on its Twitter, you know, you just click on the video and you see it. That's no, but not there are different ways of putting it out. You are a reporter. Right. You know, you have ways of saying that this is, either just say that this is what the guy says and give some context of why he's saying this. Right. Put it out there that this is elections and politicians are trying to pull one on you. Right. But you're not saying that. So, as journalist, when it comes to media, again, this is my opinion, you can choose to disagree. Okay, the media should put out information and let the public take call, but the media should also give context. Yeah, give context. That should be a general rule for everything, right? You should be giving context regardless if it's communal or not communal. But I think if anyone says the most horrible things, you should put it out. You shouldn't think about, you shouldn't make a call of, oh my God, this is wrong. Should I, should the people be listening to this? That's not your call to make. My objection was putting it out without context and putting it out in a clickbaity way, giving more airtime and footage. But coming back to the political leaders who actually made these comments, uh, Menaka Gandhi, uh, who is the BJP's candidate for uh, from Uttar Pradesh's Sultanpur constituency, kicked up a row when she said that if the Muslim voters did not vote for her, she is not going to help them get jobs or work for them. Right. What really caught my eye about this remark really made me think was, could she identify who voted for her and who did not vote for her? Interestingly, political leaders can identify this. Like the concept of entire secret ballot was that people wouldn't know who voted for whom. Right. So this is coming from a scroll report. Uh, it was done by Ishita Trivedi. So the report says, since 2009, when EVM started being used nationwide, right? Now we use electronic voting machines. Now we don't cast our votes on the bigger scale on paper, right? So since uh, we started using EVMs, the Election Commission has been publishing Form 20 data. Now, what is Form 20 data? Form 20 data gives the number of votes received by all candidates down to each EVM. So to understand what this actually means, I went to the Election Commission's website to check what Form 20 data is, I can go to each state, each constituency, where they have listed the name of the candidates, and I know which candidate belongs to which party, right? So I know in that constituency, that candidate of that party has gotten that many votes. So I know that constituency is voting for, let's say, a BJP candidate, right? or a particular constituency is voting for Congress candidate. So as let's say a state representative or a leader, chief minister, if I know these constituencies are not voting for my party, I don't know if I'll work with them. And with what Manika Gandhi has said, I find that really troubling that this makes me so vulnerable. This makes my vote identifiable. Even if it doesn't come down to me as an individual, 
but it does give them a general idea of where which way this constituency is voting which is very troubling and scary just right. a question though can we see the breakdown of the form 20 per constituency wise yes constituency wise that's even can. more dangerous than if you can actually see the breakdown of it which is why i was saying it's so troubling which is why i pointed out not to the individual level mm-hmm. but constituency yeah. you can see but also i mean i've been really surprised how the election commission has been doing so little to take action against all the vitriol even though the election commission has taken action against four people uh, bsp supremo mayawati uttar pradesh chief minister yogi adityanath azam khan and manika gandhi but they haven't taken any action against prime minister modi or bjp chief amit shah who recently said and i quote the illegal immigrants are like termites they are eating the grain that should go to the poor they are taking our jobs the t of tmc stands for tushtikaran appeasement m for mafia and c for chit funds i mean how is the election commission not taking any action against people who are violating the mcc left right and center he sounds like trump on that one but in fact the election commission has been taking action i mean if you are going to take action against four of these big leaders i guess that still counts as taking some sort of action even though you are not reprimanding amit shah in fact on tuesday what about modi well i mean come on it's amit shah and modi that's all i can say i mean that's just he's the it's completely prime honest and There the is, other one's the first lady the first lady and prime minister <laughs> yeah come on yeah. kunal kamra please Kamra. don't don't insult ladies but go on okay ha huh. anyway on tuesday the supreme court uh, uh, there was a bench that was being presided over by the cgi and he said that he expressed satisfaction over the actions taken by the ec in the matters of hate speeches and the court said it told the ec that uh, i quote it seems you have finally woken up to your powers you have got your powers back you don't look powerless anymore i hope so it got a, it got a proper rap on the knuckles from the supreme court saying that well played you know at least you've taken some sort of action no, because the ec had reached out to the supreme court saying that we have no powers but uh, there's a piece on al jazeera by neha dikshit which says that mcc apparently has this section which says that the ec can take away the symbol of a contestant if they violate the mcc so my question is what is the ec talking about that they don't have powers this is the petition to which the election, uh, this is the petition to which the supreme court has responded saying ki now to you've suddenly discovered your powers okay but, but coming the, the, sorry but doesn't taking the symbol away of like a candidate or a party seem extreme though it so seems so are, extreme you are knowingly violating a code of conduct put out by the election commission i feel it's a little extreme it I mean you can issue a show cause notice but we've seen how much political leaders respond to show cause yeah, notice I think it's a fair and advisories and advisories mm-hmm. they don't give a rats ass Yeah I think it's a fair punishment so you either play by the rules and you know campaign with decency or you get your take symbol taken off and with, mm-hmm. I hope that happens with these people hope it happens with Amit Shah as well because I mean and by by the way last couple of weeks ago I was complaining that you know if the election commission doesn't decide to postpone that third rate propaganda that Vivek Oberoi is in then they better shift to a forest or something i'd said something like that and i'm glad that they hear the voters without well orders yeah. but finally i think ayush you and i agree on something for at least for the first time yeah. this has happened guys for the for the benefit of the republic me and cherry agree but i disagree uh, me just an update <laughs> yeah 
just an update on right. the Vivek Oberoi starer the supreme court so the producers of the show have approached the supreme court saying ki election commission ne aisa bola hai hmm. but you got to get them to overturn the decision i mean what is wrong with the supreme court what the supreme court do so first the supreme court asked the election commission to pass an order in the case right which the election commission did right mm. they said ki it's banned until the poll and they this was done for two other movies right after the producers reached out to the supreme court saying aisa kiya hamare sath election commission ne mm. then the supreme court goes like ki now you watch the movie supreme court tells the election commission now you watch the movie and tell us by april 22nd in seal cover what did you think of it which is i think fair because the supreme court's assertions was that the ec had only watched the trailer and taken a call which is not long term torture so the supreme court saying now you watch the movie which is long term torture and you for take whom? for the election commission <laughs> and then you make a decision which is fair i mean everyone however bad or propaganda movie is you should watch the movie and take a call no and it's also so fair because you have to give the other side a chance to hear right, right. you can always file for a review right. but my question is here just about authority right mm-hmm. you are taking telling a decision making body to take a decision and then you are just like do this again Yes. Like is there no value to the decision that's, that's of the a, that's EC? That's a larger trend in the recent years of Supreme Court gaining this position where like when in a country the governance parameters recede people look for another institution to affirm their beliefs and to act upon the right things and the supreme court in the recent year with the privacy judgment 377 sabrimala triple talaq has come out as an institution which is powerful because the in the legislature we find the two parties hope hardly end up doing anything you know worthwhile but rightfully so right i mean they have passed some good judgments and they have come to like the rescue yeah. when it was completely required exactly so some of the judgments have been great but then and some have been not so great but, ha- but i guess in the appointments and the removal of people from it yeah maybe that is probably I'm a little dark i'm thinking of the judge loya case Okay. Yeah, but in any polity, you love that caravan piece, now that came out on Judge Loya. It's not about the caravan piece. It is about there. The case is suspect. Why is the Supreme Court not looking into it deeper? But in any polity, no single institution, however good and however benevolent, should have an inordinate amount of power. Then who should? The bloody legislature and the Supreme Court are supposed to have no, powers in this country. He's talking about what. the structure of our democracy is which is why we have distribution of power but i think you what the fix would be to have a government that actually governs at least in the last 5 years we haven't seen that but i hope you know even before that we haven't really seen some really super effective governance we haven't but it's almost as if we made we were on a path of making improvement and then it just collapsed so i'm referring to that But that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you everyone who's listening, who is DMing Gaurav <laughs> and who is tweeting out about the episode. Please spread the word, please send us feedback. We love to hear from you and that like Gaurav said helps us improve, helps us make it better and probably will help these guys stay focused on the podcast. So if you have any more feedback for us, love or brickbats, do tweet to any of us or you can write to me at charyatnewslaundry.com or you can send it to contact@newslaundry.com. Also, we got a new batch of Amar Bari Tomar Bari Naxal Bari comics. It is a dark history of two facets of the communist movement in India, the Naxal Bari uprising and the current Maoist conflict in Central India. 
in the form of a comic book. I think Gaurav will definitely recommend that you read this. Why he's a Naxal? <laughs> Are you saying he's a Naxal? No, I'm saying he's a comic fan. Oh, okay. You're wearing red also, so you're fine. Uh, so first of all, Amar Bari, Tomar Bari, Naxal Bari is not really a comic as much as it is a graphic novel. But that is not what I'm going to recommend because the biggest recommendation of the week is going to remain the same till next Monday, 6:30 a.m. Guys, go watch the Game of Thrones episode. Lose your shit for a bit. Get into that universe of the Seven Kingdoms and see the most awkward Stark family reunion ever at Winterfell. So, Gorav, that is what you're going to do since we didn't let you discuss it on the podcast. That is my way of subtly plugging this. Ayush, coming to you. What's your recommendation? So, I would recommend people listen to the latest episode of the Seen and the Unseen. I think Amit is you know becoming better and better by every episode. Have you heard the latest episode? Yes, it's bit by uh, with Pooja Mehra, who's uh, written a book on Recently how the economy collapsed between two thousand eight and two thousand eighteen, and it's not just a standard textbook like explanation of how economics work, but shows that. the politics the pettiness the individuals how they influence mo- small things in a very larger ways and yeah that's why i actually pre- pre-ordered it so go ahead do remember to share the copy no <laughs> <laughs> my recommendation is a scroll piece it is again uh, by ishita trivedi the headline is menka gandhi's threat to single out muslim voters isn't a bluff india's ballot is no longer secret I would also recommend that you read Aisha's piece. Uh it is titled The Bumsai Scheme of Things: How the Going Got Rough at INS. It's a long read, so I hope you enjoy it. Also remember to pay to keep news free, independent and azad. To subscribe to News Laundry, you can visit our website newslaundry.com. Happy subscribing. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.